pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather together to worship you or to celebrate your love, your life, all that you've given us, all that you've done for us. And Father, that we can come back and just return to you our thanks, Lord, and our recognition for who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, I just pray that as we gather together this morning, as we listen to your word, the Father, you just open the eyes and ears of all of our hearts, that you would speak to us individually and corporately. The Father, you would transform us and change us into your image, that you would lead us into your purposes. The Father, you would begin to uh, raise us up into who and what you've called us to be, Father, that you might be glorified in this place and in this community, Father, in the surrounding areas, and that your word might go out to the ends of the earth. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would guide and direct us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you had a busy week this week? A few of you? Everyone. I guess it's just kind of a modern condition. We are always busy, it seems like. And uh, one thing that God's kind of showing me, at least personally, is the busier I get, uh, the more time I need to take not being busy and just be with Him and listen to Him. And so it's, it's a tough lesson to learn, but it's one we've, we've got to learn nonetheless. So we've been starting this February, starting a new series called Staying Alive. How I many you know sometimes in the busyness of, of life we get busy and we all of a sudden we start feeling like the batteries are getting run down a little bit, um, spiritually speaking, physically. And maybe even we're, we're doing well as a, as a Christian, you know, we're, we're going, we're doing our Bible studies and we're doing our devotions and we're going to church and we're doing this and this. But somewhere along the line, we realize, I feel like I'm spiritually dying. We know that that spark that initially was there is not there. Uh, we looked at uh, the church in Ephesus last week. They were doing everything so well. Jesus was speaking to them through John, and he says, Man, you, I commend you. You're doing great. You hate what is evil. You're doing this and this. But you know what? You forgot one thing, your true love. And, and it was reminding them that, God's biggest thing He desires from us is for us to simply be with Him, to be available to Him, to talk to us, to be with us, to, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to, to guide and direct us, to lead us into His plans and His purposes for our lives, which are amazing and will bring about crazy, miraculous things that we'd never imagined possible. And so last week, our staying alive uh, tip, or first part of our series, was how do we stay alive spiritually? We listened to Dad. Uh, talked about how I took my son camping for the first time last summer, and the big thing that we learned was how do we stay alive when we're camping? We listen to Dad. And there's a spiritual application to that. How do we stay alive spiritually? We listen to Dad. Now, I didn't throw Mom in there because she doesn't like camping, and her idea of camping is a camper or a hotel which if you want to stay alive and be comfortable, then I guess you listen to mom. So I guess that's a whole other lesson. Um, so this morning, we talked about last week, listening to dad, listening to God, spending that time listening to his voice, leading us, guiding us, directing us, not just listening to God's word, but taking time to listen to the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us. And so a second, I felt, key part of, of staying alive spiritually and this is kind of a big important thing, is we have to love life. 
We have to love the life that Christ has given us. When we love something, when we are excited about something, we take care of it. We, we nurture it. We, we give it our, our best. In fact, we see uh, there are many different ways in which we, we love life. And when we love the life that Christ has given us, how many would, would say, yes, what God has given me is good? Right? The world gives us a lot of junk. We pick up a lot of junk on our own. No, the devil doesn't always have to do it for us. Sometimes we're pretty good at that on our own. But the things that God gives us, the things that Christ has given us, is good. Life, restoration, healing, grace, mercy, forgiveness. These are good, wonderful things. Loving others as we would want ourselves and love ourselves to be loved. That's a good thing, right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. Here's a way that we can... But sometimes we, we lose that passion for the life that Christ has given us. Sometimes we begin to lose that, that life he's given us, loses its luster a little bit. We begin to lose some of that passion and that we, we had for what he had given us. And one of the ways that we are to keep and maintain that is we see here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9, we are to love what is good. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, and this, uh, if you were here last Wednesday, was it last Wednesday or two Wednesdays ago? This is one of the key verses in a devoted life. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Paul was telling the church in Philippi, he's like, look, I've taught you everything you need to know at this point. Do it. Put it into practice. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. There's a big key there. Sometimes our life, our spiritual life begins to dwindle and begins to die, so to speak, because a couple of things are happening. One, our thoughts perhaps aren't fixed on that life Christ has given us. It's not fixed on those good things that he has put in our life that he is calling us to. Sometimes our mind begins to wander and we begin to think about things that aren't so admirable, things that aren't so pure, things that aren't so honorable, Things that aren't true, we begin to give in and start believing the lies that the world tells us. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. We know that it's true. We know God's word is true. He says, fix your eyes on the word of God, the truth that Christ has spoken to us, not the labels this world puts on you, your family, or your life. Too often the enemy robs us of the life that we are to have in Christ by putting all these other labels. He's like, no, you're not a son of, or daughter of God. You're this, you're that, you're, you're what you did. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Which means there's a, this intentionality to it. 
We aren't just occasionally when something good or positive that God puts in our mind pops up and, oh yeah, thank you, Jesus. We are to fix. That means uh, an intentional focusing, setting your gaze on what is good. And too often times we, we treat our spirituality and our, our life in Christ very flippantly and just, well, whatever happens, happens. But Paul is saying you've got to fix your gaze on the life that Christ has got. You have to be intentional. Dwell upon the purposes that God has put in your life, the things that he is calling you to. Daily, as you wake up or before you go to bed or whenever that time is, fix your gaze on the things of God that are true. When our eyes are fixed on that and the enemy starts telling us something different, we're able to shake it off because our eyes are fixed on what is true. And wherever our eyes go, so will our body and our mind and our spirit go as well. So it's not only fix your, your mind on what is true and what is honorable, things that God is calling you to, the things that Christ modeled for us, the things that we find in God's Word. But verse 9, put it into practice. So it's not enough to, to know what is good, not enough to know the promises that God has for us. But he said, put it into practice. Again, that's an intention, being intentional when we wake up saying, okay, God, uh, I've really struggled with anger. So rather than saying, okay, God, today as I go through, just help me with my anger, we say, okay, God, I know that you want me to be patient and you want me to be kind. And so I want to fix my eyes on reflecting you. And I'm going to be intentional about looking for an opportunity to be kind, to be gentle. And if you're like me, God will give you that opportunity when, when somebody's tailgating you too close and you decide to get out of your car to tell them you have kids in your car and you're not happy about that. Now fortunately, my eyes were fixed enough on God I didn't just get out and gesture like, let's fight. I had a genuine concern for the safety of my kids and I used my 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 emergency lights and let them stop and so I didn't just slam on my brakes. I, we talked about this yesterday in our men's breakfast. Your pastor's not perfect, but God was good. He didn't let me lose my cool. And my wife was there to say, don't get in a fight. But we have to put it into practice, even when it's difficult. And if our eyes are fixed on what we need to be doing and what God is calling us to do, when we get to those moments, we know what we need to do. We know what God is calling us to. And because we're fixed on that, because we talked about last time we're listening to Dad, we're, we're fixed on spending time with God and, and listening to Him and His purposes, our ears are then, our spiritual ears are tuned towards His guidance and His direction. And He helps us adjust along the way. He helps us make those corrections to make sure we're staying on course and on His path that He has for us. Put it into practice. Keep practicing every single day doing the good stuff, basically. Rather than complaining. Sometimes, how many of you ever find yourself, you got your moment, it could be you listen to that one newscaster or you watch, listen to that one thing on the radio and you get your gripe time, you kind of get your gripe on. Does anyone else, does anyone that happen to every occasionally? Let's keep putting into practice those good things. Spend more time praising God and giving thanks for what he's done for us than complaining and griping to him for what we don't have. It's amazing time and time again where I, God kind of got my attention a little bit and I'm like, you know what? 
I've got every, you know what? God, he said he's going to take care of me. I'm going to focus on what is true. I'm going to focus on God's word. Okay, God, your word's true. I'm going to trust you. Thank you. I don't know how you're going to do it, but thank you. I just begin worshiping and thanking God for what he's going to do. Not for what he's done, because it hasn't happened yet. And I really don't know how he's going to do it. And so we practice faith. Faith is a good thing. Trust God's word. Trust what is true. And then I find it as I'm worshiping, as I'm thanking God, all of a sudden that's when that peace comes. That's when that assurance comes. That's when the little voice of God speaks, or sometimes big, depending on, just speaks and begins to give direction and give guidance. But we have to keep our eyes fixed on what is good. If we keep our eyes fixed on what is good and the things that God has put in our life that is good, it's easier then to begin to love the life that he has given us. Why do we struggle to love what is good? Sometimes we, this is a the hard part that comes out of that. We say, well, I want to love what is good, but it's really hard sometimes. Sometimes I'm just not real excited about the good things that God has given me or that he's calling me to. Yes, forgiveness is a great thing. I'm not always real excited about it. Do you know how bad I was hurt? Do you know the, the issues that I, I struggle with? Why do we struggle to do the things that are good and good for us sometimes? I know that it's good to be praying, talking to God. I know it's good to be part of a church and to to attend on a regular basis and, and serve within that local body and to serve others. But why is it such a struggle? Why is it why don't we really love and get excited about those things? If those are good, wonderful, beautiful things that Christ has given us. And if you're like me, the answer isn't a pretty one. It's sometimes because we like what is bad for us more than what is good. That's what it comes down to. I like being bad more than I like being good sometimes, right? That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Or NRSV says, let love be genuine. Let your love for Christ, let your love for the body, the church, for one another, for the things of God, let it be genuine. Let it be so strong that the things of this world, that you hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. He said, fix your eyes on what is good. Hold fast to it. Don't let go to what is good. If our hands are tied up and busy with what is good, they're not going to be free to mingle with what is not good. If our minds and our thoughts are tied up on things that are good and of God, our brain is not smart enough to be able to process also the things that are bad and evil. Somebody's like, my brain's pretty good at that. It's kind of a constant battle. But if we truly, without hypocrisy, or with love is genuine, saying we need to truly not just say, God, I love you, you're so good, thank you, praise you. But secretly, deep down with inside, our passion lies for what is not good. 
And there isn't a single person in here's room that does not struggle with that or did not struggle because we are born into that condition. If you have little kids and you say, oh, we need to uh, be patient, I think it was our youngest one, was it? Um, you asked her to patient or do something good, and she said, no, thank you. Oh, she said, we need to be model citizens. Not even two. goes, no, thank you. Because <laughs> it's more fun sometimes. So we think until the consequences come around. I love this. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. That's some strong language here. How many of you, your parents or your kindergarten teachers said, no, no, we don't hate. Right? There's a correct context in which hate is a a natural God-given thing that we are supposed to have. We're not to hate people. We're not to hate our enemies. God says, don't hate your enemies. Love your enemies. But that evil, that, that desire for what is not of God, that is inside each and every one of us, God says, you need to hate that part of yourself. You need to not like it. Because if you don't like that, then you're going to really be able to, to love what is of God. Or I should say, once you begin to really love what is of God and genuinely love it, then all of a sudden we're not caught in that struggle between what God wants and what we want. Too often times we've, rather than totally fixing our gaze on what is good and what is God's and taking hold of it, it's more of we're kind of standing here trying to split our eyes and we've got a hold of what God wants and still trying to hold on to what we want and our eyes still trying to go wherever it can go. And if we look enough and, okay, maybe God's not looking, okay, I can look over here and grab a little bit more of this. and Maybe I'm the only one. Hate is a strong word, but we need to learn to hate what is bad for us. We have to learn to do that. We learn through God's Word. We learn through prayer. We learn through spending time. When we spend time, as the song said, bring me a little closer, sweeter than anything I've tasted. When we truly begin to fix our eyes on God and take hold of the truth and the life that He has given us, we begin to realize, oh my word, I'm an idiot. Why in the world was I holding on to all of this, afraid to take hold of this? It's okay to say, how many of you can say with me, I've been an idiot. There you go. It's true. We, we, we hang on to the things of the world because we're so afraid the things of God are not going to be nearly as good. They're not going to serve us nearly as well. We need to learn to hate what is bad for us. and It's okay to pray, God, I know there's this part of me that's not good. It's not of you. Help me to hate that. Help me to want to have nothing to do with that. So that I take fully all that you have for me. Because here's part of the problem. The reason why he's using such a strong language here, he's not saying, love God and, and, and just kind of don't like what's not of God. And there's a simple reason for this. and um, Maybe think back to when you're a teenager or a kid or whatnot. Um, did you ever flirt with someone you truly hated? Right? 
You ever try to make friends with someone that you just really, oh, I don't like that about that person? No. Of course not. You hate them. Now, sometimes there's people that you kind of like them, kind of don't like them. I'm lonely. I want to go out to a movie. All right. Right? Maybe this is a horrible example. (laughs) You don't flirt with someone you hate. And the reality is if we don't hate that sin part of us, that evil part of us wants to do what is opposite, we're going to flirt with that over and over again. We're going to go back to it over and over again because there's going to be times where we start to doubt and we're like, well, God, I don't know. Are you really going to come through? Well, this wasn't too bad, I thought, so maybe I'll go back to this way of thinking. Maybe I'll go back to this way of acting. Maybe I'll go back to this way of living. But if we truly learn to, to hate what is evil, hate that destructive, chaotic nature that has robbed us, that the enemy has used to steal everything that is good that God has for us. Then when things are going rough and we're like, you know what? No, I hate that. Yes, I'm holding on to this. I'm taking hold of what God has for me and I'm hanging on to it. Hell or high water, I'm not letting go to what God has for me. Do we hate the idea of destroying our spiritual life? It's not just the things. We've got to know why we hate these things. Do we hate the idea of even walking away from what God has for us? And unfortunately, too often times in our lives, in my own life, that idea isn't abhorring, isn't scary enough. It should scare the crud out of us. to begin sliding out of what God has for us. It should be the worst thing imaginable for us to be sliding away out of what God has done for us, to be dying spiritually. Do we hate the idea of destroying our spiritual life? If we do that, even the things that are really enticing, we really struggle with because we don't want to give up on this. Because we hate that idea of losing what we can have, what God is calling us to. We're going to remain hanging on to what God has for us. And not go back to those things that are constantly pulling at us. Our physical life, it's important to recognize, is not separate from our spiritual life. The two are intricately woven together. It is within our physical life and actions that our spiritual life and condition is manifested or revealed. And it is out of our spiritual life that our physical life and actions will be influenced towards purpose and life or towards chaos and destruction. The things we do in this life matter to our spiritual life life and being. Our spiritual being and wealth and health influences how we live out our life in this world. We can't separate the two. They're intricately woven together. We worship God with voice, with our hands, with with our lives because God has given us. He created it. It is all good. It is to be used to 
glorify Him, to worship Him. And when we use the life that God has given us, when we use the things that God has given us, we begin to see His purpose unveiled and lived out in our lives. And when that happens, we begin to see beautiful things happen. We begin to see life sprout up and grow. We begin to see the fruit of the Spirit popping out and growing. We begin to see miracles taking place in our lives, in the lives of those around us. But when we begin to separate the two and think, well, I can be spiritual over here, and, and what I do over here, and, and you know, I can pray and do all that, and God's way over here. He doesn't really care about what's going on in the physical. No, He does care. He created it all. It's all together. It's all one thing. In fact, it's so important to him. That's why Jesus rose from the dead in physical form, to let us know, hey, it is important. It's really important. And I want to restore it. I want to heal it. I want to pull back the pieces that have been broken by sin and destruction. We have to get to where we hate what brings chaos and destruction and death. The things that are spiritually not of God will bring chaos and destruction into our own physical lives. Hate what brings chaos and destruction and death. And sometimes we, we, we think, well, this isn't so bad. If it's causing even a bit of us to die and to lose focus on what God has for us. Sometimes that's the worst thing that Satan does to us sometimes. He doesn't come at us with the big glaring, all right, jump off the cliff. Come over here, buddy. It's little by little. Almost like a, kind of like a little, you know, pigeon. You're just throwing a little breadcrumb here, a little breadcrumb here, a little breadcrumb there, and next thing you know, it's in the net. A little bit of sin, a little bit of, of not hating what is not of God robs us of the peace. So if we go back, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. If we want God's peace in our lives, we need to quit bringing the world's destruction into the mix. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Solomon was obviously had his own struggles. <laughs> he was not a perfect individual. But God gave him wisdom and insight, and he began to see that to fear the Lord to hate what is evil. If we don't really hate what is evil, we don't really fear God. And we talk about God's love and God's grace and He is that and He's there, but at the same time, God is our judge. And we can stay in that peace, we can stay under His umbrella of grace and mercy, or we can choose to to run off out of that into the chaos and destruction that he's called us out of. And thank God there's grace and there's mercy. And as we repent, as we say, God, I'm 
Sometimes we find ourselves, you know, the prodigal son, he, he had everything he needed. Life was good. And he wandered off and all of a sudden he realized, and if you don't know the story, there's this, this man and he had two wealth, he was a very wealthy man. He had two sons. The older son was the mature one. He worked hard and he was going to inherit everything. And the young son was a little spoiled and he was kind of a brat. And he decided, you know what? I want, I want it all right now. In fact, I don't think what you've got here is good enough for me. Just give me what you owe me. You know, when you, what you would have, when you die, what you would, just give it to me now. I really appreciate all you've got for me, Dad. Uh, just give me that money now and I'm going to go find something better and live life better. And the dad, who is a picture of God, is gracious and patient and had more wisdom than the older son. The older son's like, what? Let's just beat him. Dumb. He's stupid. Maybe adding a little bit to the story here. But that's how I would have been if I were, and I am the older brother. And the father said, no, you know what? Here you go. I'll be here when you get back. And too often times we do the same thing. We, we're like, God, thanks for what you give me. This is great. All right. And we take it and we go right back into the world. We go right back to the old patterns, the old ways of thinking. Or maybe for the first time we're like, you know what? I've been so good for so long. I need to flap my wings a little. Maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe the world's got it right. And if you're a kid and you've grown up in church your whole life, that's how Satan's going to get you. You're missing out. You know why? They don't want you to do it because it's fun. And you begin to walk away from what God has for you. But fortunately, as time went on, and he was having fun at, at the get-go, but as is true with all worldly things, they run out. He ran out of money. He got mistreated by people. He got robbed. He got swindled. And all of a sudden, he found himself, fortunately, the best place he could be, on his knees at a pig trough, and which is a huge, huge thing. If you know, uh, Jewish people were not even supposed to touch pigs. You weren't even supposed to touch people who touched pigs. And here he is working for a man who owns pigs, and now he's not only having to feed them, he is so hungry and so distraught, he's eating the food that is for the pigs. Now, they didn't have the wonderful molasses-mixed corn feed that we have today's American agriculture. They had whatever was left over from everyone else's plates or was rotting and they weren't going to use because the pigs would eat it. What a beautiful picture, not beautiful, horrible, ugly, beautiful picture of our condition when we are outside of God's will for our lives. And when we begin to allow that image to sink into our brain and help ourselves realize when we think, when we're outside of God's will, that it's not that bad, picture ourselves face deep in that pig trough. Because that's where we are. Or that's where we're headed. But what's amazing is that sometimes we find ourselves in that position and then the enemy comes and says, look, look at you. You're not worth anything. See, I told you, God's not going to have anything to do with you now. You've wrecked it. You've lost your privilege. You've lost your place in your family's home. 
What I love about that story that Jesus told is all of a sudden he gets up, he's like, you know what? Even my father's servants are treated or fed well and taken care of. There's no way he's going to want me to be a son. Maybe I can at least go back and be his servant. And what he discovered is when he came back to his father, he decided maybe I should listen to dad. Dad was right. There was life and life abundantly by listening to the voice of his father. And so as he went back to him, the father ran to him. And in that culture, the young come to the older. The father went dignity, chased to meet his son, put his own ring back on his finger, and said, you know what, everything that is mine is yours again. That is grace. That is God's mercy, his forgiveness. Psalms 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Let those who love their heavenly Father hate those things of the world that take us to the pig trough, that take us to death, take us to destruction, that robs us of everything God has for us. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. When we stay with our eyes fixed on the things of God, the things that are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, honorable. As we look at Christ, we look at how he lived his life, as we look at the fruits of the Spirit, we see those things. That is what we are to desire in our life. And as we love that, and as we love God, if we love him, we are going to love the things he's given us. How many of you, sometimes you, you get a really weird thing from your kids, but you love it, or you had that friend or something that went on a holiday, and they gave you some weird trinket, and you're like, I don't get it, but thanks, you were thinking of me. It means something because of who it's from, but how much greater the things that God gives, they're not some odd trinkets. These things cultivate life within us. These things that are good and pure and old, they cultivate life within other people. They share the life of Christ to the world around us. It helps us be salt and light. And as we do that, it guards our lives. If we want to stay spiritually alive, we need to allow ourselves to come back to a place where we love God so much that anything the world has for us pales in comparison so much that it is as if we hate it. Because as we stay in God's presence, as we stay with Him, He guards our lives. That spiritual life cannot be touched by the world, by Satan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank You, Lord, for Your Word that You've given us. I thank You that You are calling us, Father, back to a place of, of appreciation for who You are calling us back to a place of recognizing who you are and the things that you're calling us to, Lord. And God, I just pray within each and every one of our hearts this morning that as we leave this place, the Father, things of you would grow brighter and brighter. The things of this world would grow dimmer and dimmer. And Father, that as we 
fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on what is true in your word as we take time to, to listen to you and to talk to you, Father. That, Lord, that love for you would just begin to grow and be strengthened, Father. That we'd be encouraged by your spirit. And that, Father, those things that we are trying to so hard in our own efforts to shake and to step out of, the Father, we'd realize that it's only through you. It's through your strength. And Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you, I pray, Lord, that you would just transform our hearts and our minds. And that, Lord, we would begin to despise and hate the things that rob us of everything that you have for us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.